Hello and welcome to the One More Mile podcast. Today is Monday, October 22nd, 2018. I'm your host, Chris Harnish. And journeying, journeying me, joining Joining. me, I guess you are joining, it's a journey, Um, my uh, inimitable co-host, Hannah Getz. Hannah, how you doing? Good, good. Pretty good, thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, tell me about it. Uh, I've, I've been, I, I've been wanting some cooler weather and, um, it's just cold. <laughs> yeah. Kind of, kind of sucks. And it, in fact, I, um, I'm trying to remember, I, I, I rent out my other, uh, uh, place up in Winchester where I teach and, uh, it was like literally, um, you know, I was working in my attic trying to get the, the, the work done in the attic and, and it was like, 90 degrees, you know, and had the AC running, um, and I didn't bother to check the weather, and so I came came home for fall break on a Thursday, and I got up, and, and it was so cold that, uh, you know, I'm like, oh, I better check the weather, and it turned out it was going to be like 37 that weekend, and I still had the <laughs> AC units in there, um, and the windows were open, and I'm like, oh, Jesus, man, so now, then I had to get in my car, I had to drive up. I spent um, all day in my car because I, I basically drove up here, took the AC units out, uh, closed up the windows, and drove home. <laughs> boy, oh boy. Um, but 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 yeah, I mean, it's just that's how fast it's turned. I mean, it's it, it's kind of nice because I've had some some nice days down here. I don't know how cold it's been up there, but uh, it's a hard transition, you know. Yeah, it got it got really chilly really fast. Almost it was almost like none of that perfect fall. Riding weather was like hot and humid, and then all of a sudden you have to wear your thermal uh, jersey. You know, like yeah. nice, hard, warmer weather. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of disappointing. But it seems like uh, cooler weather uh, is going to be here from now on. And with that, in the fall, uh, we are pretty much kind of starting to get into the heart of the cyclocross season uh, now. But the European road season has, has really officially wrapped up. Has it officially I, wrapped up now? I, I lose track at this point. Yes, I mean, they keep on adding so many races. <laughs> but I think I think it's officially, officially over. I, well, the European season definitely is. Yeah. I believe the World Tour with the, with the, that uh, Chinese race, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but I believe that was the last official World Tour race. Yeah, I, th- I, I think it's Guangxi. I, I, I could yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, I didn't, you know, it's always weird, like, like he gets some teams that will travel all the way to China to race, but uh, you know, for the most part, everything wraps up after Lombardi, and and you know, again, Tour Lombardi did not disappoint. Um, it it really is one of my favorite races, uh, just because I just remember it from 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 all those years back, and and uh, you know when Le Mans was still racing, um, but it. It feels like the end of the season, and it's a hard race. I, it's it's a lot harder than I think uh, most casual cycling fans will give it credit for. And uh, we definitely had a worthy winner with Thibaut Pino. Uh, he's had kind of the roller coaster season. Um, you, you know, had that 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 famous Giro abandon, had pneumonia, missed the tour. Uh, but but he was definitely on the upswing. Fell short at World Championships. Uh, but but definitely bounce back for uh, Lombardi and prove that 
he can actually descend. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that, that, that was pretty good, really good to see. Um, I wouldn't say so much he came up short in the World Championships, but I think, I think on the contrary, I mean, he played the, uh, you got to credit to him and to the French in general. I mean, despite the fact that obviously he didn't win, they, they rode as a, an amazing, t- as a team. They all, you know, none of them went off script, off, I'm sorry, off script. His script was just not, you know, not to be the finisher, but to be the, the th- you know, third, third man standing, and he executed it to perfection. Um, and he showed that he had the form. Uh, you know, he probably could have been on the podium if his job would have been to uh, be the last man standing. So he had the form at Worlds, and he was he managed to you know to carry it for another couple of weeks. Yeah, and and really, with all in in all fairness, uh, in, I don't. I don't think there are too many people that were going to be able to be, which call Valverde. Valverde, thank yeah, God, yeah, I, yeah. I forgot his name. Um, but but his his finish, especially at the end of a long race, is is it, it's just so fast. Uh, and and again, he reminds me, on, in some respects, to Bunio, which which ironically Bunio is still in the news um, because <laughs> yeah. he won another. Uh, uh, a term for the CPA, but 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 Bunio had that ability to sprint after a long, long day, and I and I remember uh, at the Worlds where where he uh, would be guys like uh, Ludwig, who who is just a tremendous sprinter, green jersey winner of the Tour de France. So you always know that at the end of 200 plus Ks, anything can happen, uh, and and so what we saw were you know three guys, really the best guys in the race. Not surprisingly, we, we, we talked about Michael Woods being there as, as definitely a dark horse, and you, you could almost predict that he would be there. Uh, came up a little short uh, with some, some cramping, as he reports. I don't, I'm not so sure it was that bottle he missed, but he did, he did come very, very close to winning the Worlds. Uh, that would have been fantastic to see, but, but again, podium, big deal for him. Um, and uh, I think it's a big deal for the EF team because they can't seem to win anything, uh, and they do have at least a couple guys. I think going in the next season, they're going to have to rethink how they shape their race plans because they've got guys now that that have proven to be successful. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So with that, the European season is is now wrapped up. Um, but as the European road season was wrapping up on the very same weekend, uh, Ironman World Championships in Kona. Uh, and I know we've we, we've been really talking a lot about cycling over the past few months. Uh, and, and and again, I, I I race off road triathlon. I don't follow the road triathlon scene, but it's hard not to at least kind of check in with the Kona race. Uh, this year, they had Amazon as a sponsor. They had Facebook as a sponsor. And so they had this live streaming all day, and I could just kind of pop in and, and, and check out results. And, and the race was really uh, action-packed, I think, from the beginning. Uh, one of the really big – well, I think two of the really big surprises in the swim were, first of all, uh, second place overall, Lucy Charles – comes out of the water in, in a blistering fast time. And I don't know how she compared to all the pro men, but she was literally at the back of the pro men's field coming through the swim. Uh, and if you look at the top 10 men, uh, she was second, okay, the second fastest swimmer overall. So that's a, that's a big deal. 
women tend to do better uh, in, in swimming events for sure for a few reasons, but huge to go that fast in the swim. And she came out minutes, minutes ahead of defending champion uh, Reef, who turns out was stung by a jellyfish. Um, and so she, she was probably about nine minutes down from there. And, you know, a lot of the, uh, you know, a lot of, I think the casual observers would say, oh, yeah, you know, how's she going to close that? But she, she's shown in the past that, that, that nine minutes is nothing. And by mile 105, again, this is Kona, so 112 mile bike leg by mile 105, she passes Charles. Uh, and really there was no contest there. Uh, once she passed her, she went on to uh, really shatter her own bike record um, and turn in, I, I think it was like a 2.57 marathon. Um, so, I, I, I mean, for women, 2.57 is good. For, for men, 2.57 is good. For <laughs> the Ironman, 2.57 is really, really fast. And she shattered her own overall course record plus the overall world record for Ironman uh, for women. Uh, with a time, I think, like eight hours and 26 minutes. And, and it's really hard to put that in perspective until you start looking back at past years of Kona for the pro men. And Reef is up there. Like her times uh, would stand very, very competitive. Um, and, and she destroyed her 2017 self by 20 minutes. Um, now, now, a lot of people have talked about the conditions in Kona being ideal. And, and, and yes, they were. For Kona... They were ideal. You, you had temperatures in the mid to upper 80s. Uh, the humidity was a relatively low, I think like 40 to 50%. But from a physiological standpoint, uh, those are not ideal conditions. And so one of the, the things that I find fascinating about the Ironman, particularly in Kona, is that these athletes are, are performing um, relatively superhuman feats because they're able to uh, – cover this course, three different sports, in such a, 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 a fast time, particularly running, um, it's very hard to turn in a fast running time when it's over, say, 60 degrees. And so when you're way, way up in that temperature, humidity is relatively high, there's no shade in Kona whatsoever. Um, to be able to turn those times in is pretty impressive. Now, on the men's side, another record fell. Um, yep. you, you had Langa, who came in defending champion, uh, shattered his own course record, shattered uh, the previous world record, or, or, or sorry, not the world record. Uh, the world record is is uh, um, on a separate course, but was the first time at Kona to go under eight hours, and he went well under eight hours. I think it was like 7.52 and change. In second place, uh, the Belgian Arnauts uh, was also well under eight hours. And so I, I think the third place finisher was 801. So, so just tremendous times all around. Um, so, so really interesting to see, uh, really the performances. And, and again, from, from my perspective, uh, you know, being in, in the field I am and looking at exercise, um, the, you know, you know, the feats there are really, really amazing when we can look at what we can do from a physiological standpoint, kind of, kind of putting together all of, um, you know, the training and the nutrition to produce these performances. Right, right, exactly. I mean, are there, are there, is there any speculation? Have you seen why this, this year was so fast? Well, I mean, it's definitely the course conditions. Right, okay. Um, and I think it's really, you know, it, it is a combination. I, I think that this year's men's field 
was uh, superb. I mean, again, you look at the run times, and and uh, you know Langa is such a phenomenal runner. I think the past two Konas he's run uh, like two 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 thirty nine two forty, which is insanely fast. And this year he ran a two forty one. His bike time was super fast. But uh, from my understanding, outside of the weather conditions and again humidity, I, I mean, if you're talking a difference of 20 percentage points of humidity, that, that's pretty significant. But right. the wind, I think, really played the role. Uh, there was very little gusty wind, and, and wind overall was relatively low. Uh, and, and, and so what that does is it, it doesn't really influence the swim times, uh, but what you see on the bike is the bike times are significantly faster. So I think the bike times were, um, uh, you know, maybe 15, 20, 25 minutes faster uh, that is going to be where pretty much all of the the the, the record setting time was. Okay, so there's been some incremental improvements um, in in say the swim, uh, but the run times haven't uh, improved significantly from the record time. And again, if we go back to 1989, Iron War, Mar uh, uh, Mark Allen, Dave Scott, their record setting marathon time, and and they both ran up just over 240. Um, that stood for about 30 years. It was broken last year um, by, a, I, I think it was a top 10 finisher. But, but again, you're, you're talking about a minute or so difference there with that, that record runtime. It's all about the bike. And, right. And I, 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 I've got to say, you know, you know, when we look at pro cycling and we, you know, we look at the Tour de France and we look at the time trial times and we're like, wow, you know, he rode, you know, 30 miles an hour for an hour. Um, Daniela Reef rode 26 and a half miles per hour for four and a half hours, and the men are riding 28, 29 miles per hour. Um, and it, it's just, it, it's astounding that um, not, not, not only can they put out the power output, uh, but, but they can hold that arrow position. And, and, right. and we both know how important that is. I mean, being able to hold that arrow position is how we're able to, to really see these big improvements in, in time trial times. And these guys are so arrow, and the bikes are arrow, and that makes a big difference in the speed. And then to ride at that power output and go run a marathon. Yeah, well, right. Exactly. It's, it, it's hard. And in fact, I, um, you know, you know, I gave a talk up in Baltimore on, on, on Xterra triathlon. Um, and, uh, and, and, and this is one of the key factors is that your ability to be able to ride a bike very hard and then get off and run fast is key. And so when we look at elite triathletes, there's a couple things that we see, uh, you know, first and foremost, the best runners are not necessarily always the fastest runners if we we're going to do a running race. And there are some examples out there of elite runners who come in the triathlon and they're competing against other people that they used to dominate, say, at the collegiate level. Uh, and then they add the bike in and they get off the bike and they can't ever beat this person. Um, and so one of the things that we've noticed is that the mechanics are preserved. So if you're, you're able to preserve your running mechanics very well off the bike, uh, it, it really uh, lends itself to better running efficiency. And, and, and so I think that that is a lot of it um, from the sport of triathlon. So, so it's, it's, it's really interesting. Well, Again, how, go ahead. How do, how do, how do, I mean, obviously that, that, that's why officially there's a difference between a pure time trial bike and a triathlon bike is to, to be able to compensate for, 
for the running that has to be done after after the bike. But I mean, obviously, you can go go ahead and test your aero position with a power meter and a wind tunnel, and you know, you know, on, in a velodrome and all these things. How do they? I'm just curious. This is more of a you know lack of knowledge question, but uh, some some people in the audience might be interested. How do people test for a position that will be both fast on the bike, but also uh, let you run fast? Am I asking that? You understand what I'm saying? I'm not quite being that yeah. clear, but no, no, no. I well, well, I I'll start off by saying that I don't believe that we have a way to test for that specifically. Um, I do know traditionally, and this is where a lot of the, the time trial positions have come into play with the steep, steep C tube angle, uh, traditionally time trial bikes, or I should say triathlon time trial bikes, have had a, a very, very steep C tube. And so, uh, you know, for those of you not really in the know about bike geometry, basically the steeper the C tube, the more uh, perpendicular it is to the ground. And, and, and the belief has always been that that allows them to kind of move up on the saddle um, a little bit further and actually uh, adopt a riding position that allows them to be more of a running position as well. So, so kind of the, mu the muscles that they use are similar. I, I don't know if that's actually going to help them or hurt them, but that's kind of where they've traditionally been. Um, what, what I do know, um, cause I've done a lot of this testing on myself and, 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 and there is some research on this. And this is actually one of the areas that I've taught, I talked about in my, in my presentation a couple weeks ago is that, um, you know, for, first and foremost, uh, you need to keep your power output very steady. Uh, and there is a, uh, at least a little bit of evidence now that shows that when you oscillate your power outputs, and by as little as plus or minus 10%. So if you're going to ride at, say, your threshold for your, your triathlon or just below it, going above and below that periodically, uh, that seems to slow running time. Um, and there are some hypotheses for why different motor unit recruitments or different muscles are recruited, all, all that stuff. Um, but also the increase in potential type 2 muscle fibers or fast twitch muscle fibers get involved now now from an off-road triathlon we we take this to the extreme um and and before my presentation i was talking i was talking to uh the 2015 world champion josiah middaw about this and um you know there are courses we race on where your your power output can be either 500 watts or zero watts okay because that's mountain biking you're you're that's mountain biking exactly right yeah. right exactly and, and, and so it's extreme. I mean, there's, there's, it's very difficult to pace evenly in a mountain bike race um, that has any type of elevation change or any type of tight single track. It's just, it, right. it's very difficult. So, so that le lends itself to overall slower running times for exterior or off-road triathlon. Um, if you did that on the bike, that would be essentially trying to do, uh, you know, maybe like a 10 or 20 second sprint every mile or so. Okay, of your triathlon, um, and that would really most likely hurt your your running performance. Um, now, from a you know from a testing standpoint, I think there are a couple ways that you can go about doing this. If you don't have a lot of advanced technology and and, and high speed uh, filming, the easiest thing to do is is if you can go in for testing, you do a hard bike ride, 
okay? And then they'll actually uh, measure your oxygen consumption after the bike ride while running. And you can look at not, not only your running technique, does it look the same, um, does it feel the same, but if you run at, at, at your race pace, uh, you can look at what your oxygen consumption is. And you, you'd expect it would be a little bit higher because you're already pre-fatigued and you might be already hot. But the less of an increase that is, the better off you are. Um, and so what, what you want to try to do is improve your pacing strategy on the bike, but also you want to improve your ability to run off the bike. And that's kind of where this idea of the brick workout comes from. I don't know if we have um, good evidence to support the brick workout physiologically, but I think psych psychologically, uh, it, you know, it's an essential workout. I mean, you've got to do that workout. You've got to know how you're going to respond, how you're going to feel, and come up with pacing strategies off that. So, you know, unfortunately, I don't have any definitive advice for people, but I think that, that, that off-season is where you figure all this out, you know, and if you want to really improve your running off the bike – then you need to be doing at least a few workouts, um, you know, test sessions where you're going to get on, you're going to do a hard, hard, hard bike ride, uh, and then get off and get on the treadmill and run so that you can kind of look at some variables there and see what happens. And compare that to your fresh kind of um, uh, rested running performance. Right, right, exactly. All right, yeah. well, that wraps up kind of the, the triathlon side of things. Um, I know I had talked to you uh, a couple days ago about big, big new study, um, again, related to my field. And, and uh, CNN had it, uh, you know, titled uh, – uh, here, here, let me pull it up here. Uh, not exercising worse for your health than smoking, diabetes, and heart disease. And this was a <laughs> – you know, Nothing it's, subtle about that, right? No, no. And, and it's funny, um, you know, like I see these headlines and, and I definitely want to go to the article and, you know, I want to read it. And, and um, oftentimes the, the title for that the media chooses uh, is not even close to what the paper shows. Um, and, and in this case, it's closer to actually what they did show. Um, but it's really interesting because this study is really nothing new to us, okay, from an exercise physiology standpoint, from a, a re really an exercises medicine standpoint, we, we, which is what we try to promote. Um, we already know that exercise is really important, okay? I think everybody out there, you know, probably admits to some extent, um, you know, it's important to exercise. But we know that exercise can prevent disease and it can reverse disease. It can reverse type 2 diabetes. It can reverse heart disease damage. Um, it can uh, prevent cancer, okay? So if we look at the causes, all-cause mortality and all causes of cancer, if you are an exerciser, you have a lower risk of cancer. Now, there, there are some hypotheses for the cancer um, reason that, that, that are still open to debate. And right. so we're trying to figure out why. But the the question of wh whether or not it actually exists is is pretty definitive. So this you know this study it sounds definitive, but it's kind of like yeah, it's one more study that shows us what we already know. Um, and and if you really delve into what the study shows, and and they've got complex statistics there, 
but in reality, uh, what, what they look at is like this hazard risk score. And to, to, to keep it as simple as possible, they, they, they take people, in this case, they looked backwards, a, re- a retrospective study, and they looked over a period of about 15 years, and they said, okay, um, these people had a certain fitness level tested on the treadmill, and we're going to categorize their fitness levels into different uh, you, know, you know, degrees of fitness. So very low, low, uh, you know, I think they had below average, above average, uh, high, and then elite or something like that. Um, and, and what they found is that the more exercise you do, the better off you are. Okay. And that's really the, I think the key take home message, parsing out hazard risks gets very tricky. And so if there is a big difference um, yes, you, you can make broad sweeping claims, um, but I'm always, uh, you know, reluctant to say, well, you know, exercise is more important than, say, not smoking, because we know that the risks for smoking are multifactorial. There, there are so many diseases that are linked to smoking. In the case of this study, they actually did show that if you are a smoker, but you are, say, an elite level exerciser, which... I think for us, it's kind of hard to, to fathom. Right. right. Um, but I, I, I have met people. I, I've met people that are smokers, and they exercise a ton. I, don't, don't ask me why. But Yeah, and I, I think you, you have to make a – I mean, you don't have to, but logically, you want to make a difference, difference between an elite exerciser and, what you know, an elite athlete, you know, someone that's an elite athlete. You know, someone that's running marathons or doing triathlons, doing bike races – would not be smoking, I, I, I don't think at all. But someone that just likes going to the gym a lot, you know, that it seems, you know, maybe they just, they also like smoking. What are you going to do? Yeah, and, and I think it's important to note, um, because you make a good point, they talk about elite exercisers, but we want to make clear that um, these are not elite athletes. And, right. And so, so without getting, uh, you know, too much into the weeds, uh, if we look at the VO2 max that they're talking about, so what did they constitute as elite? And they said it was approximately a VO2 max of 56, okay? Now, an elite runner, an elite cyclist would be closer to 80. Um, so 56 is a very fit person. That's a very fit person. Um, it might be a, a good Category 4 rider. Um, a really good Cat 3 rider would be in the mid-60s. So, so that, that, you know, perhaps can help people kind of parse that out. But 56, that's fit. Like that's somebody that oh, does yeah, a yeah. lot of exercise, but that's not in the elite range. Uh, but the bottom line of what, of what this study is showing is that um, more exercise is better than, than less exercise. If you're looking at, say, an elite exerciser, an exerciser um, who, who is a high level of fitness, their risk for dying of anything, you know, could be just dropping dead, cancer, this, that, whatever it is, their risk for dying is lower than if you were a smoker um, or if you had diabetes, okay, we, which is definitely, you know, a possibility. So, so, so they did look at multiple factors. Again, this is not to say, hey, uh, it's okay to smoke, as long as you exercise, I think this is, is really for, you know, for us and for me personally, hammering home the point that anybody who thinks that exercise is something that can be kind of 
you know, put off or is not that important or, um, you know, perhaps a person who's looking to lose weight. I meet lots of people, they want to lose weight, but they don't want to exercise. And um, there is a lot of research that shows that exercise is not a good way to lose weight. And that's not a reason not to exercise. Um, and, and we have to really kind of bring this home to students to, to say, look at, we've got to get people to stop thinking about weight loss because weight loss in and of itself is actually a, a really poor goal to emphasize. It's a hard goal to achieve and it's not as important as exercise. Okay. Right, right, you can, exactly. yeah. And you can have a relatively uh, overweight or fat person be really fit. And you can have somebody who is sedentary as this, this study really shows if you do no exercise whatsoever and you're really unfit, your risk of dying over the next 15 years is quite high. Um, and that's really the take-home message. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's a very, it's pretty, pretty, pretty impressive study. Uh, I, mean, I mean, the article, yeah, it's probably uh, – people, people could look it up. It's right on CNN. So, yeah, I found, I found it very interesting. And it's uh, – I think logic – I mean, if you're not in the field, but just logically, you know, I think a lot of people say, oh, no, it better – you know, given the choice, obviously it's not really a choice, but I mean, given, you know, gun, gun against your head, smoke or, ex, you know, keep on smoking, but exercise or, or, you know, vice versa. A lot of people probably choose the, uh, you know, stop smoking. Yeah. But, yeah. uh, but it, it turns out that the opposite is, is, is indeed true. So it's, it's very enlightening. Yeah. And, it, and, and I think it's important to know too, I don't, I don't think they parsed out the amount of smoking. They had a broad category as, uh, current or former smoker. And so that that muddies the water for smoking. I, I'm fairly confident that if you looked at, say, a two-pack-a-day smoker versus somebody who maybe smokes on the weekend, right, um, exactly. the risk is going to be yeah. much lower. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. All right, so that kind of catches us up with um, the news, but but it is the fall, and, and you know, we're moving into the kind of that, that official off season. And so, uh, there was one, one other study, um, that, that came out, uh, it was published, I think in the journal of, uh, sports physiology and sports sciences. There, there, there are so many journals. Um, I am familiar with this journal. It's actually a very good journal. Um, they, they actually don't accept a lot of papers. Uh, but, it was really looking at this idea of what metric should you use to track your, your kind of your overall fitness level or your overall training stress. And, and for those out there that use training peaks and, and they, they've used a power meter, they're familiar with the training stress score. Uh, but that training uh, uh, concept of the training stress score is based on uh, a couple different models. They've got the heart rate trimp score, and, and so trimp is based on a heart rate model. They've got a rating of perceived exertion scale, and they looked at a couple others. Um, Take-home message uh, was that it really doesn't matter. Um, they're all really good. The most important thing, if you're going to use any of these metrics, is that you use it consistently. Right, right. I mean, they, they collected a, a ton. I know mean, it was a very, very thorough study. Um, so kudos to them for pulling that off. Uh, when I read, you know, the beginning of the report of the study, how much data they collected, it was what, years worth of training data from Team Sunweb. So it was extremely extensive. But yeah, 
the bottom line is that uh, keep keep good records of all your training, and, and that really can can you know help you really deep dive deep into you know your fatigue level, when to back off, when to pile on, you know how you're doing, all kinds of things like that. Yeah. Um, and, and be it, and also shows you know a lot of people, especially with the advent of technology, don't want to be in touch with. Um, you know, their body, like, are you having a good day? You're having a bad, a bad day. But I just want to look at my power meter, but it shows that being in touch with that, not, you know, not losing that, which is how basically how people train, you know, 15 or 20 years ago, uh, is still, still a valued metric in today's day and age. Yeah. And I, I, I think that's, that, that's really important to keep in mind. Um, and I, I, I remember back in, oh God, 2009, 2010, I talked to, uh, Alan Lim about this, and, and uh, one of the things that he reported seeing in younger cyclists was this, they they were able to use a power meter, and so they, they'd been using a power meter for a very long time, um, they knew the ins and outs of power training and all of the metrics, but they didn't know how to connect power output with how they felt, and they, this is one of the areas where he had to kind of reteach them. And say like, okay, well, well, you've got to also look at how you're feeling. And I often talk about RPB. In fact, this just came up in in my my prescription assessment class because we came in, the heart rate monitors weren't working, and and so sometimes students see that as, oh, you know, we don't we don't have heart rate monitors, and we're supposed to do this 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 training session that I wrote today, and it's all based on heart rate. And I'm like, this is the real world. Okay, <laughs> right. you. You are going to go out there. I've gone out there. I, I, I got my Garmin, and all of a sudden, low battery you, you know, show, yeah. shows up. And I'm like, wait a second. I charged this. Do, do, do I just go home and say, oh, well, I, can't, I can't work out today. My watch isn't working. <laughs> um, or do you tune in? And, and so by the same aspect, I, I, you know, I ran a workout with them. I, I, uh, you know, I said to write up myself a workout. I said, okay, I'll go out to the track with you, and I'll do this workout. Um, it was a hard workout. I kind of wish I didn't write it, <laughs> but <laughs> I, you know, I told him, I, I said, this is what I'm going to look at. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at, at, at trying to maintain a six minute per mile pace. I'm going to do these intervals. Um, this is the heart rate range that I want to be in, but, but I'll tell you right now, I'm, I'm not going to really look at my watch. I'll glance down at, at it a couple of times, but I'm going to go out there and I'm going to run on the track and, uh, both both in, intervals came out to be within about four seconds of each other. Um, I, I could tell by the way I felt. I felt. I felt the same. Uh, I've got like a little power meter. I've got got a stride power meter that I use for running. Uh, the power outputs were within like two watts. The heart rate was similar, and, and and it's really me trying to 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 show them that if you get a client to really hone in, especially a client does doesn't have a heart rate monitor. Get them to use this RP. You can have them report the session RP at the end of every session, and you can track their fitness. Uh, and I think that that's the tool that I think general fitness people don't use. They, they're not tracking how they're progressing over time. They're just throwing a bunch of workouts together. And I said, we can do better. And right. what what this study shows is that, yeah, you can have the external load, uh, you know, where you use a power meter and you have TSSS. You could use trim scores that are based on heart rate zones, and 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 they're added together. You could have RP. You could do everything. And I can re recall back to I think twenty. I, I think it was maybe 2015, 2016. 
uh, uh, Pino and Grapp, that's, that's Thibaut Pino's brother, uh, I think it's Julian Pino, is a PhD in ex-phys, and, and he, he works with uh, uh, Thibaut's team. Um, and so they published this paper on Thibaut's data from the time he was a junior oh, all wow. the way up until that, that year. Uh, and, they, and the way that they, they marked his progression was using that session RPE. And so they had all his power data. And, and you can see how he progressed over those, those uh, I think it was like five or six years. But the R RPE was very, very useful in showing how his overall training load increased over time. It was, it was pretty, uh, it was pretty cool paper to look at, but it was also pretty useful. And, and that's essentially what um, the SunWeb team did. Now, I don't know if you're familiar, uh, but a few months ago, they actually published another paper that was comparing the SunWeb women's team and men's team. And I haven't had a chance to to review that paper yet. Um, no, but, I haven't seen that. But their purpose was to say like, well, let's compare the, the stressors of women's racing with men's racing and see if there are, are, are things um, that are different. So I think I'm gonna look at that one. I think maybe the next time we get together, we'll probably uh, you know, parse that out. Um, but as we are in the fall and as we are talking about metrics, what, what are you doing either with your own training or with clients? Like, what are you looking at as far as going into the new year? Is there anything that you're looking at trying, uh, to change for next year? Anything on the horizon there? Um, I don't think anything new has really come down. I mean, I think, I, I mean, most of, the, most of my clients use a power meter. I, I, I'm going to try to emphasize to them a little more to still keep track of their uh, of how they feel just based on that study. Uh, even though they have power meters, I want them. It's always something that I that I've kind of tried to preach, but a lot of people don't like to hear it. But just kind of, you know, just keep track of how you feel. Even you know, don't just load up a file and, and be done with it. You know, you, you have to think about how do they how do you know just so it's kind of basic. It's not very cutting edge. Um, but yeah, I think that that's, uh, we just realized the importance of that and it's not something to, it's not really old fashioned or anything like that to, to being, to be in touch with your body, um, and how your training goes and, and that can also help. I think that can help also help a little bit of with overtraining or fatigue. If you, if you know, you know, if you, if you've kept track of that, you know, you go out some, and, and you try to do an interval or you, or you wake up that morning, you're not feeling like great. You know, sometimes Obviously, you have, you're not feeling like training, and you have to go and push yourself, right? Otherwise, you know, you're never going to get fitter. But sometimes, you know, maybe you're you're getting sick, or maybe you're just too fatigued, and that might just crack you, you know, and, and put, set you back a month instead of. So, so that that's something to pay more attention to, I think. Yeah, and and uh, you know, I, I think along those lines, this is. One of my pet peeves with a lot of the software out there, and, and uh, I haven't used Training Peaks in a while, uh, but what I use is Final Surge, and I've really been pushing them uh, to, to add two things, uh, and they do have a new beta version that's coming out uh, that I'm interested in looking at. One, I want better periodization tools. Uh, and one of the nice things about RPE is that you can more easily and more readily plan out or periodize very quickly the the training that you want somebody to do over the next two to six months um, with, with, with that. But also, with Training Peaks, they very much want you to use TSS. And I, I don't, 
I don't necessarily want to be kind of kind of pigeonholed into one. Uh, I don't know if they added RPE, but it would be nice to to just kind of pick and choose. Say like, hey, you know, I want to use this one to track my, you know, my fitness, or may or maybe I want to use all of them. Uh, you know, right now Final Surge doesn't allow that, even though they have a feature where you can put in your RPE. It doesn't like it doesn't go anywhere. Doesn't do anything right. And, it's not functional. Yeah. And so when, when I go back, I, well, I got to get out the Excel spreadsheet and I got to kind of manually enter the data. And, I, and I've been wanting to do this because I've actually been wanting to, uh, you know, to use that platform to do some research, particularly with Xterra, because I can get people to more readily put their information in. And plus with RPE, you eliminate all of the, the potential problems of, well, you know, my heart rate monitor didn't work or I don't have a power meter um, or particularly with triathlon, uh, I swim in the pool and then I ride my bike and I might have a power meter there. And then with running, most people don't have the running power meters. And, and so you, you've got different metrics. Right, and exactly. Training Peak says, well, you know, you can combine these, but anytime you start combining different types of data like that, your error rate goes up. And so while you're saying, oh, well, hey, I want to try to have the, the, the most error-free data I can, uh, the nice thing about this, this latest study is that, hey, if you do, do multiple sports, um, you know, maybe the RP is the better way to go. You know, if you're just cycling, then, you know, that combined RPE with, with TSSS, and I, and I would never tell somebody not to use it because it's there, but it, it would be pretty cool if you could say, okay, well, what's my RPE chart showing? And what's my TSS chart showing? Are they matching up? Are they right? It would be cool to, to have both, to line them up side by side and see see how closely they're matching up. Yeah. And in the question for the athlete is, if they're not matching up, is that a problem? And that that right. might actually be an indication that there's some kind of a separation between what you're perceiving and what your fitness is actually doing, or, or your external load is doing. Uh, and that could. I, I, I don't know yet, but that could be a good thing or a bad thing. And, and so maybe that is a tool that we, you know, we need to consider. But again, not, not all of the platforms allow you to easily track all of these, these tools. So I, I personally, I like customization. I like to say, well, you know, I want freedom of choice. And so I want right. to choose what I want to do. And so that, that's always the, you know, the rub. And with Training Peaks, they have the most metrics. Um, but you, you're also going to pay for them. Right, so. right, exactly. And I'm pretty cheap these days. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, you know, I think moving forward, uh, you know, it'd be interesting to kind of kind of track this over time. But but as far as, you know, the season going, uh, you know, what are you planning? Are you do you uh, do you have any events on the horizon? What's what's that looking like? Uh, no, no. I, th I thought I might do a couple of. Uh gravel events but the, the fall kind of uh came up quicker than i had i had uh you know anticipated i mean not, not, you know what i mean yeah it got away from beginning of the fall got away from me and i just uh i don't think so yeah for now i'm done i'm done with any with any competitive events probably just, you know got sick last week so i'm gonna take it <laughs> easier for a little bit and uh just ramp up for 2019 so what's on the horizon for 2019 then Oh, I mean, just uh, kind of the same as, as well, just, uh, you know, some bike racing, local, local crits and stuff like that. I might, you know, looking ahead to next fall, I'd like to uh, 
do some 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 gravel events next fall. I mean, you know, some of the, the big uh, East Coast events, but I haven't really looked at the calendar and seen seen you know what what kind of travels involved or how far they are and what looks interesting. So we'll have to we'll have to get there. You should look at uh, Monster Cross down down in uh, Richmond. My way. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, end of February. So. Oh, okay. Uh, he, he's he's got two events. Uh, there is the 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 mini monster. It's like twenty one <laughs> miles. You can choose a cross bike or you can choose a mountain bike. It's really um, it's it's mostly fire roads and really light single track. Uh, so cross bike is perfectly su- uh, suitable, but uh, you know mountain bike is good too. But the the full length one is about fifty miles. Um, usually has a good beer sponsor. Uh, it's, it's a huge event. I mean, it's probably seven, 800 people. Oh, wow. Uh, really, really big. It's at Pocahontas state park, which is just south of Richmond and Pocahontas has done a huge amount of trail building in the last few years. They've, they've got a, a new pump track and, and all these extra trails that they built. So it's, it's a really cool venue. Uh, pretty easy to get to, but, but I want to keep that one on your radar. I always say I'm going back, but but I never get around to it. It's a weird time of the year. Uh, it's just before my spring break, but maybe this is the year I I go back. Yeah, um, yeah. It sounds a little bit like Iron Cross, which was just uh, yesterday, I believe, or sat or Saturday this past weekend. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's um, it no no open roads though. So you're you're, oh, okay. you're not on the open roads. It's all contained in the park. Okay. Um, in the fire roads section, I remember the the. The first and only year that I did it, um, I did the, the the elite race, and I hung on for about I don't know ten or eleven miles, um, and then I you know I came off on one of the 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 early climbs, but they're fire road climbs, uh, but it just starts so fast, it's so so fast, right? Um, and you know you usually get some some good guys that come out. I know Jeremiah Bishop's, you know every, every year that he's shown up, he's won. Um, but, uh, he's, he's probably won it like five or six times, but there's always some, some, some really good guys that show up to that. And then later, uh, you know, a few weeks after that, there, there's a series of, of mountain bike races out of Pocahontas. So those are probably what I'm leaning towards doing, doing some mountain bike races, doing, um, you know, some running races in the, the spring and then trying to decide what I'm going to do for, for, for Xterra next Xterra. year. Um, I haven't even thought about it. It's just, you know, like you, the, the fall just, you know, it feels like winter's already here almost, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, middle of the semester now, it's just, I'm, I've, I've just gotten back into training. Like, I just feel like I'm, I'm starting to, to, to feel decent, like day to day. You know how, when you start training, um, you know, it's like one day you feel good the next day you feel terrible and yeah it doesn't necessarily seem to correlate with what you did the day before <laughs> right, right um that's kind of where i am you know so so i'm just moving out of that and and so i think when when i can kind of get back in that rhythm you know i can start to decide but uh but yeah if i'm lucky i'll do one trail running race this year and and that'll be it but but that's fine you know yeah. got a lot of stuff going on exactly all right. Well, cool. It's good to good. catch up with you. Uh, yeah. I know that we've got a, a big guest coming up on our next show, and, and, and I'm not sure if we're going to be able to record again in between there. So that's why I'm saying our next official show. If we can get another show up there, we will. 
But uh, in November, uh, can you tell everybody who we got coming on? Yeah, sure. So it's, it's um, really looking forward to it. We have uh, Kim Geist coming on. For those that don't know, because we don't really talk about uh, tracks like that much, but she's uh, on the U.S. national team uh, based out of um, near Trexeltown, Pennsylvania, where they have that uh, the velodrome, although it's not a um, year-round velodrome because it's not uh, doesn't have a roof. But anyways... She is a two-time uh, gold medal uh, world champion in the team pursuit, and I believe she's training towards the uh, Tokyo Olympics. Uh, so we're very, very excited to talk to her about track cycling, about women's track cycling, um, about all kinds of interesting things. Awesome. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I never really raced track, and uh, you know, always a, a very fascinating sport. And I think the last few years kind of had, had its ups and downs, but, you know, especially kind of being demoted a lot of it from from the Olympics and, you know, new events coming in. But, uh, you know, U.S. is looking really, really phenomenal. And I, I know that we've talked about just on the road scene, all women are, are, are just looking amazing. Uh, but the track scene as well, I mean, we've, we, we've really got a resurgence of – of uh, track, we, we've got, um, you, you know, it looks like more upheaval at USA Cycling. So we, we didn't really talk about it, and I don't, I, I, personally, I don't really care so much. But I'm hoping that we don't see any impact with, with the way the programs are going now because um, it's really looking exciting to see uh, yeah. just the development of the sport. Like I said, I believe the um... – I mean, I believe the U.S. women have been very successful the last couple of years in, in, at the world championship level. Um, so there's a very, very good chance that, um, you know, to bring home some some uh, some heavy metal at uh, Tokyo. So it'll be interesting to hear about that um, with, you know, talk to Kim about uh, how what the key to their success has been lately and, and, and what it's going to be going forward for the next couple, two or three years. Yeah, that's great. Awesome. And anything else that we're looking at on the horizon? Any news on on uh, any other fronts that you can think of? Um, not uh, you know, it's it's. I guess not. Now's kind of the quiet time of the year, so uh, I guess long term. <laughs> Good. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if uh, we ever see Richie Port in the top 150 <laughs> of any race. <laughs> but uh, no, no, that, that that was yeah. that was below the belt, but. Uh, no, I don't think it is. I mean, sure. really. Um, you know, you know what? When you get paid a lot of money uh, and you just don't perform, I guess it goes with the the territory. But it will be interesting to see in a different environment. I, I you know, I, again, I think we we often uh, talk. I guess not resoundingly about the EF program and their lack of wins, and um, you, you know, they're they're. There's a lot to be said for BMC because BMC, they seem to be hit or miss. And so there are riders that come in that, that, that seem to perform really well. But, you know, in all fairness to BMC, there are a lot of riders that have grossly underperformed. And, and sometimes, you know, I think that there is an environment. I think we saw that with a couple teams this year with riders leaving teams, kind of just getting fed up. And I think that, that, that how you click with your environment uh, really, really matters, and and so to be interesting to see if Richie can find find some magic at Trek, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, they 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 it took it took a lot, but I think Trek, you know, they 
they uh, had a lot of not a lot of success, but they managed to to get John Decknall back to a you know yeah. top level after obviously his his not only career threatening but life threatening accident. So uh, you know I think that that's that's a good program where they uh, they know how to get how to get results and not just kind of you know hang out and, and at the back of the pack. So I think you know it'll be a good environment for him. Um, they have a very good you know supporting supporting riders, so he certainly has the uh, the supporting cast he needs to succeed. So you know, we'll see we'll see what he does. Um, yeah. yeah, and I think looking ahead, uh, you know, once all of the courses are released, we can start to maybe speculate uh, what's going to happen next year. Again, a lot of flux with the you know the teams from a Grand Tour standpoint. So it'd be interesting to see what's going on. Uh, right, you know, right. happened there, but but it was good to see that at least some of the riders that that were left adrift um, did manage to find teams. So I'm very keen to see how Warboss does. Oh yeah, uh, on yeah, a French definitely. team. So yeah. it's going to be going to be very interesting. But that'll be very interesting. And yeah, be, be great to see him uh, hopefully perform back to the level he was at. Uh, I guess not really this year, but but last year. Yeah. So yeah. That'll, that'll be hopefully hopefully a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. All right. Well, it was good talking to you. Same here. Well, that wraps up another One More Mile podcast. If you like the podcast, please support us by writing a review on iTunes as your reviews improve our ranking and help us gain funding for the show. You can also donate to the podcast by heading over to www.go1mm.com. That's go1mm.com. Every donation email we receive gets entered into our monthly Rudy Project drawing, which we do have another one coming up. And speaking of email, if you have any questions or comments, please email us at go1moremile at gmail.com. That's go1moremile at gmail.com. And remember, folks, always just go one more mile. Time go by, I sense the stain.